Welcome to the Trust Your Gut Podcast. I'm your host, Demi Fair. Here we dive into the world of the mind-body connection, exploring the gut-brain axis, microbiome, and nervous system while harnessing the power of intuition and connection to spirit. If you struggle with chronic digestive and mental stress and are tired of trying just one more diet or supplement to address your symptoms, then this is the place for you. Join me as we learn from the world of science and medicine, but also from nature, our own inner knowing, and personal stories. Thank you for tuning in, and now it's time to trust your gut. Welcome back to the Trust Your Gut podcast. If you are all up to date on the episodes, you may have recognized it's been a while since I've uploaded any new episodes. And the reason behind that is because my laptop broke three weeks ago, the day I was leaving Mexico. Maybe it's been more than three weeks. Um, It's been a while, and that's a long time to not have a computer when your work depends on it. But today is new laptop day, which is very exciting. Not so exciting to have to already buy a new laptop three years in, but it's very exciting to have um, a new working computer that is mine that will have all my information on it. So here we are. I'm getting this episode uploaded today. Um, This is a fun episode to share on the podcast because it's the first interview that I am sharing. I haven't done many interviews and it might be a while before I do many more, but I did get two recorded while I was in Mexico. And so this is the first one I'm sharing. A note about that is that I was in Mexico and I was on the Wi-Fi there, which was pretty good, but it was recorded over Zoom and you might hear like a little bit of stalling. Maybe the sound quality isn't as good. I definitely had a lot of interruptions that I edited out. So just a heads up that things might not sound the best, but we embrace it all because that's just how it goes. So this interview was also the first interview um, I've done on the podcast. And so, you know, my interviewing skills are still being (laughs) worked on. I know what I hear when I listen back to it, right? Because we're all kind of our best own critic. But um, again, (laughs) we're just accepting it all and we're just doing it anyways, and we're learning. So those are my disclaimers. (laughs) Not that they need to be there, but um, I like to just be really real here with you all. So this is an interview with Dr. Tani Cross. She is a physical therapist who specializes in chronic pain, and I was really interested in interviewing her because she works at a Veterans Affair hospital. So she works closely with a lot of folks who have PTSD and traumatic stress and a lot of chronic pain associated with these things. She has developed her own holistic and integrative approach to supporting people with chronic pain and with physical therapy that resonates a lot with the work I do. So she works a lot with the nervous system But she taught me so much in this interview, especially about how the brain works and how one person who has a certain injury and another person who has the same injury, one of them may feel and experience the pain and the other may not. And so it's not about necessarily the physical aspect of the injury, but how the brain is responding to it. And I think this is such incredible information that we could apply to really any sort of chronic symptoms we have. And I work with a lot of people with chronic symptoms in the gut-brain connection, especially in their digestive health and often with things like anxiety and obsessive thinking and depression and certain mental health symptoms that can feel really chronic and be really chronic. So 
I think that her information here, while it's specific to chronic pain, it translates extremely well to chronic symptoms. So without further ado, I will get this episode rolling on my interview with Dr. Tawny Cross. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Tawny Cross. I am so excited to have you on the show today to talk all about chronic pain, PTSD, and your unique approach to supporting clients in healing from their chronic pain. And I was really interested to talk with you being that you work at a veterans affairs hospital. So you're working with clients who have been through a great amount of physical and emotional trauma. And through your experience here, it sounds like you were finding that a lot of the tools you were using were still just giving your clients more short-term symptomatic relief for their chronic pain. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. Um- Yes. Thank you for, by the way, for having me here. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, that just resonates so much with the work that I do and the clients I see and their experience with chronic symptoms as well as my own, that so many of the well-known tools for addressing these symptoms in like digestive and mental health in the realm I'm working in weren't really getting to the root of the issue. And only really alleviated symptoms for a short time. So I'm really excited to start with just hearing about you and your journey and your work and what you have learned along the way. Yeah, so I am um, primarily a physical therapist Mm -hmm. um, and I do work in the Veterans Hospital. I've been working there for nearly a decade now. Um, And I I would say that um, since, since I've kind of grown in my practice. I'm not just working as a PT. Like if you come into my clinic now, it does not look like a traditional PT setup. In fact, my coworkers like, what do you even do now? (laughs) (laughs) It it, it often involves um, such of a a mind-body approach um, that we we don't necessarily move as much as I'd like to, although movement is part of, um, I would say one of the things that I use to help people recover from pain. Mm -hmm. But um, what I think happens often, especially with a very complex population like veterans, um, is, is there's so much going on. And what conventional medicine seems to be focused on is like treating the symptom. Mm -hmm. And, and that goes with pain too. everybody is focused on treating where pain is rather than why pain is or like, Hey, I have diabetes. Okay. Well, how did that diabetes get there in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I walked into the, the, the veterans world, assuming that pain would be pretty straightforward. I mean, this is me coming off of school. So everybody, I think assumed that like, okay, yes, we can just give them some strengthening and some flexibility and then they'll be great. Um, And that is not true for the chronic pain population, which happens to be one out of four. Um, And it's definitely not true in the veterans population because um, you're probably more looking like three quarters of the population have chronic pain in the veterans hospital. Mm. So where I had got stuck was just that I I kept on trying the same things. I was like, okay, no, this this should work theoretically. But I... I saw so many people cycle in and out and in and out of um, the hospital. And it, it also almost seemed like too, that their doctors were at wit's end for how to better help these people. And mm-hmm. so I, I was like, you know, there's, there's something that has to be different. And I first, at first I just started to do more continuing education, fishing for, okay, is it, is it more manual therapy? And my, my, my hand skills not up to par. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I dove into um, pain, the more I was like, oh my gosh, like everybody has a different perspective. Um, you know, nutrition has a perspective, physical therapy has a perspective, pain clinic has a perspective. And if if all these things are different, there's something in the middle that, that we're missing. Right. <laughs> right. There's a common theme of what that is. And so I eventually got into um, something called... Uh, 
well, it's, it's a therapeutic pain specialist program, but it was um, founded by, by people who are really embedded in pain research. And when I started to explore what pain actually was, that was when it all changed for how I was approaching people. I was like, okay, this is, this is the common theme, the common thing that needs to be addressed instead of trying to go after treating the where and the symptoms of, of like what people are experiencing. Wow. Um, this is amazing already. Can you <laughs> speak to that piece? What pain actually was? Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is very common and well, it, it's understandable too why most people and why everybody actually <laughs> thinks this way is that um, we work off an old pain model and by old pain model, I mean very old and very crappy. <laughs> <laughs> and this pain model basically means that if you have some sort of injured physical tissue, you should have pain there. Mm. Um, but there were like very, very easy examples that that wasn't the case, but most people kind of brush it off because our, you know, our brains are kind of on autopilot. We're like, okay, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I address with people when they come in, I was like, okay, how have you ever, and I don't say this to everybody, it depends on if they fit into the chronic pain profile and um, into the case of what we call central sensitization, which is where your nervous system starts to ramp up. But for the people that need to know this, um, Actually, I would say probably everybody needs to know this. So and maybe I do need to tell everybody, but, um, <laughs> but I, I'll say something like, hey, sometime in your life, even before you had this chronic pain, you have probably found like a scratch or a bruise on your body. And you're like, okay, where mm. did this come from? Right. And yeah. most people are like, yeah, 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 sure I did. And I'm like, okay, what I want to point out there is that if you bruise your body, you basically um, burst some blood vessels. And if you scratched your tissues, you went through layers of, of skin and superficial nerve. Why didn't you have any pain? Hmm. And most people will take a pause like, oh, I don't, I don't know why. And, or they might take a guess. They'll say something like, uh, maybe it didn't go deep enough. I'm like, yeah, but a paper cut doesn't go that deep. You still feel pretty, pretty mm -hmm. bad. Yes. Um, or they'll say something like, I was distracted. I'm like, yes. But even after you weren't distracted and you're now looking at the scratch or this bruise, why does it still not hurt? And I let that sort of sink in a little bit. And then I move on to the next piece of the puzzle, which is, okay, almost half the population. Like we're saying, like the research says 40%, but we that's on the, I would say, at least 40% side. At least 40% of the world um, have things like herniated discs, bone-on-bone -bone arthritis, mm. rotator cuff tears. Um, you can name the gamut of really deep tissue things, and they also have no pain. Mm. And if it's half the population, then we are basically just not better than a coin flip. You know, if, if you're sitting right. in a chair and I'm standing and you happen to have back pain, I could be like, maybe it's the chair. <laughs> Right. Right. It's, it's too, too random. And then we also couldn't explain the 25% of the people that had awesome looking tissues and a crap ton of pain. Uh-huh. So we're looking at maybe a quarter of the people that can be explained by tissues only. Wow. So it was like, okay, well, well, if tissues don't equate to pain, what is it? And so the science of it had to be really, really updated to better incorporate like, okay, for the people, how do we explain these people? Um, and I don't know if you have a question here, I can pause myself. No, I'm <laughs> just like mesmerized and <laughs> on the edge of my seat, honestly. <laughs> okay. I was like, there might be a question. <laughs> no, I, I'm just like, like really, like, I feel like I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, whoa, okay, whoa, where are we going? Like, this is incredible, <laughs> incredible information. So please continue. Yeah, I, I'd love to. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so what they realize now is that pain itself, although it's always real, and we really like to emphasize this because like people, whenever they hear stuff like this, like, wait, are you trying to tell me that like pain is in my head? Right. Um, and we emphasize pain is always real. 
it is always felt physically somewhere in our bodies, including our heads if we have headaches. Mm -hmm. And even though it's 100% of the time felt physically in our bodies, it is also 100% of the time driven by the brain. Mm. And it is never one without the other. Mm-hmm. And so when I say it's both physical and by the brain, what I mean is if we were to like electrically stimulate your brain, you could feel it in a body part, depending on what we were stimulating. Right. right. And if you wanted to know, let's say you and I both had herniated discs, but you happen to experience pain. The only reason, the only way you can find out if one of the experienced pain without us, without asking us is if you did an MRI and out of our backs, because we both have herniated discs if you did an MRI of our brain. Wow. And what is it that we would see in the brain that would be different? <laughs> you would see with the functional MRI, you'd probably see a bunch of red blobs. You'd see all these like uh, case. Like, so if I were watching a movie, for instance, and there's actually a slide of a woman who's watching an animated movie and you can see just kind of like a gray calmness to her brain. And when they had her move her back, um, in a way, she um, actually started to cry a little bit and her brain produced all these red blobs. Okay, so the red spots indicate that the brain is processing pain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Your brain is... So sometimes when people think about the brain, they're like, okay, if you just stimulate one spot, like if you have a memory, you stimulate this one thing, it should you know, trigger something that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that the brain has multiple areas that talks um, to itself. Um, so if you, for instance, were to imagine someone near and dear to you, let's, let's say it's your spouse. Um, if you could see your spouse in your mind's eye and you can see um, how they move and how they smell, um, you have a memory of them, you have a specific emotion to them you essentially are triggering multiple areas in your brain, not just like a memory center. Mm-hmm. And so you have a very unique spouse map, different from anybody else's spouse map. Uh-huh. And they call it a, I guess, a neurosignature, because you what you call it. But I call it a map because it's easier to think about that. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you have pain, particularly chronic pain, because actually um, acute pain, like if you sprained your ankle, might activate a different map. Right. Um, but if you have um, chronic pain, if you stimulate that map, it actually activates multiple areas in your brain. Okay. Most heavily, the emotional centers. Right. Which is what you're kind of seeing with those blobs. You're seeing the map, uh-huh. the signature. So that's where I was kind of wondering if you were going when you were speaking to two people both having herniated this, for example, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. only one person having pain. And I was wondering, is that because there's an emotional piece to that for maybe the person who's experiencing pain versus the other who isn't? Mm-hmm. There can be, um, especially if it's chronic. Uh-huh. If, it's, if, it's, if it's like a tissue-based thing, yeah, you're going to stimulate the emotional centers, but the, the maps are kind of slightly different. They're more focused on like frontal lobe uh-huh. like in front of the brain stuff rather than like kind of all over crisscrossy and um yeah right so like the maps are different right so how did this information start to inform your practice differently well then it was about i mean if if, if it was stimulating it wasn't this one thing by the way it was like the multiple I'm things sure. if it wasn't this <laughs> if it <laughs> If it wasn't this one thing, if it was, if it was heavy on the emotions, heavy on these other pieces of the puzzle, then how is me like strengthening someone and like doing range of motion with someone really going to change what this map was saying? Right. Right. And to movement itself is important because when people have pain, they are afraid of movement. Right. And while I am saying that the brain, um, changes what we feel in the body. I'm also not ignoring the fact that what our bodies move and do also informs the brain. Right. So um, so if you're looking at someone, let's say, who, who happened to be trying physical therapy and they quote unquote failed, 
some of what you might look buried beneath the scene is, okay, so they were attempting the movement and assuming that they actually were very consistent with their exercises and all of that, be hidden behind that, were they still fearful of something damaging and harming them? Because fear is a big emotion that drives pain. Right. So you're kind of looking at the underlayers of, okay, well, why didn't this work? What is hidden behind what they're thinking or feeling that might be part of the scene? Okay. So often you'll see fear as being one of those things hidden behind what they were Mm -hmm. thinking or feeling. And that's actually impacting how they're experiencing the pain and how they Mm -hmm. end up healing from the pain or not. Yeah, exactly. Fear is a huge source for why pain perpetuates. Wow. And that's often just f- fear around the pain hurting or not getting better or, like you said, doing that movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely – I think the strongest one that people associate is the fear associated with their pain because they're thinking, okay, something's injured, something's, some tissue's not working right, it's still my herniated discs or whatever. But beyond – there's so many layers right. to fear. Um, so if it's not about that, there's also like – the fears behind the fears <laughs> and, the, and the worry, the anxiety, the depression, all of those things can actually lend to like synthesization. Right. Absolutely. Are there other emotions that you commonly see along with fear? Um, most, so when we think about, um, let's say the veterans, like anxiety, stress, um, not necessarily an emotion, but trauma-based histories are pretty huge in Mm -hmm. it. Um, Depression is linked to it. And some people would argue like, well, it's because of my pain that I'm depressed, Mm -hmm. but there's usually, um, there's you, it's hard to say exactly. There's very rarely people I meet where depression or some sort of um, more mental health related thing didn't start first. Right. Before the pain. Um, Exactly. Uh Like, one of the hidden ones, for instance, can be perfectionism. Uh-huh. Like fear of criticism. Like they, people become perfectionists because they're worried about failure of like people criticizing them. Right. Um, and that too is a fear. And so having that, that fear, that depression, that stress, that emotion or perfectionism living in our body and our system chronically over time can lead to that chronic pain. Is that what you're seeing? Mm-hmm it's more likely to sensitize you. Uh-huh, right, right. Which I commonly see in the gut-brain connection, especially with things like IBS. It's mm-hmm. highly sensitive communication between the gut and the brain that's happening in IBS. And yeah. now it's just become so sensitized to any type of stress uh, that might happen in the brain or in the gut, and it can lead to those chronic symptoms. So I can see those exact correlations there and a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions that are chronic over a period of time and maybe not expressed or released. So perfectionism, that's a really interesting one. And that tends to have a pretty intense inner critic with it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That's a very, that's one people are like, oh, like, no, I'm not scared of my pain. But if you mention perfection, I'm like, oh yes, Mm. I am that. Right. Wow. That's amazing. I always find it so fascinating how emotions are so intertwined in chronic symptoms and symptoms that come up in the mind body. So in your experience working with veterans who tend to have higher levels of PTSD and physical, emotional, mental trauma, you've seen this correlation between their levels of chronic pain and their recovery and the trauma that they've experienced? Yes, definitely. I would say the higher like you're living with all these memories um, of of combat or whatever um, triggered your PTSD way at the beginning. And the more difficult it is to actually wind the nervous system down, mm-hmm. particularly because you're reacting to so many things at mm-hmm. once and it, you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. like, where do we start? Right. And in, in when you've been in, in war, 
in combat, there's often so many overwhelming things happening so often. And that leads to a really intense trauma to be carrying. So Mm -hmm. I think most of us know what PTSD is in general, but I just love to hear you define it from your experience working with clients who have PTSD. Yeah. So there, so not everybody that goes in through like a traumatic situation, obviously, um, needs to have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we know is that if something happened that happened to have a very, um, stress inducing component, like the stress chemicals are flooding at the same time, um, then what ends up happening afterwards, especially if it was not processed properly Mm -hmm. so your the the memory itself actually lives in the emotional brain Mm -hmm. and what happens then is since it's not processed you end up spending your time living with living memory Mm -hmm. it's as if it's happening over and over again even when you try to sleep at night um you're where we're actually supposedly your um your cortisol and adrenaline levels, everything on the stress chemical levels should be dropped down to zero when you're sleeping. Right. So your brain can actually reprocess your your triggering memories into the hippocampus. Right. Um, it actually doesn't is not true for people with um, PTSD. It, your your chemicals stay elevated. Therefore, instead of when your brain is trying to do the dream to help you process, reprocess the pain or the the memory, you're you instead get triggered and you now have nightmares. Oh, right. Right. Um, so I guess your, your my long, long sentence short is that it is um, when your brain or your system holds on to old memories as if living memories and they are usually on the negative end. Right. And the system's just continuing to respond to this, these, these memories um, that feel so present in the body. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this piece about dreaming is really fascinating. So I'd love to just kind of touch on that really quick. Um, I have this understanding of dreaming to be a a safe place where we can process certain Mm -hmm. stressors or traumas or triggers. And so Mm -hmm. that is something that you've found to be true, uh, that that is a space that we do this. Yeah, absolutely. There's this awesome book, um, I think Why We Sleep called mm, Math by Matthew Walker. Yeah. Um, and he actually talks about this um, in at least one section of the book um, where it's a it's a really cool space. Like your, your brain's always like putting together pieces of the puzzle. And um, like if ever you've practiced something, you're like, okay, I can't get it. But the next day you do, it's because your brain did that for you. It's kind mm. of making things more cohesive processing processing things well and for for um if we happen to have something that happened to us like let's say i did a i had public speaking um happen which you know i don't particularly love and (laughs) something happened i'm like oh no like um i had an ibs situation (laughs) (laughs) and like like everybody knew um that memory when i go to bed at night the next day it should generally be less triggering and impactful because your brain is going okay so that was an old memory. Now you have lower levels of stress. Now I can process this appropriately. Um, and so the dream state is important. Yeah. Or not necessarily the dream state, but just sleep in general right. is important for helping you like connect things and also help you process memories to be memories. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And so what's happening when someone is struggling with PTSD or really just um, levels of unprocessed trauma is mm. the, the, is it the limbic brain is going to be still overactivated yep. and maybe the, the, is the hip, hippocampus kind of like a little bit offline or deactivated slightly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're the, yep. You're looking at emotional stuff versus like this. Right. Stuff. So that it's kind of in that state in sleep so now we're not getting that regenerative integrative time during sleep to process these stressful traumatic things that we might go through throughout the day and integrate Mm -hmm. information and therefore 
you might even end up with having those kinds of like nightmares and flashbacks during that sleep time. Yeah. So your your body and brain is kind of staying in that triggered state throughout the mm-hmm. entire 24 hours. Right. And then the next day you wake up, you haven't really gotten any sleep. Mm. And then your system is even more sensitized because of it. So it's right. this vicious cycle. Oh, man. <laughs> Very vicious cycle. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, that's fascinating. I feel like there's a lot to learn about the dream state. And thank you for <laughs> mentioning that book. I've definitely heard of it. And this is just a nice reminder to go check that out. And the reminder of how important sleep is um, for our healing. So it's not just for resting the body, but also uh, processing and integrating these memories and experiences. So amazing. Well, I am curious, kind of coming back to your work with veterans and Mm -hmm. the link between uh, the unprocessed trauma and the experience of chronic pain. And if there was, certain things that you started to find supported them best in getting better, you know, or in processing some of this trauma or in improving their chronic pain since some of the tools that you learned coming out of PT school and utilizing those modalities didn't seem to really be doing it. Once you started to learn this and work with them more, were there certain tools, modalities, things that you discovered that ended up being the most supportive? Um, that's a very good question. So <laughs> um, the first one really is education. Yeah. Because no matter what modality I use, if, if they come in going expecting a certain thing, I we're not going to really get anywhere because everybody's going to always be after the short-term relief. In fact, even now, um, when I have people come in, and even if they've been working with me for a while, um, if we're not getting anywhere and I wander back to, okay, well, what do you believe about pain? It usually shows up in like their belief. Interesting. "Um, so, So I will, if I had a process that I could kind of flow people through, um, without too many barriers, as long as they're still at understanding the message, it would be education first, mm-hmm. get an idea, helping them basically relearn what pain is. Mm. And this actually falls into the, to the roadmap that I, that I like to teach people. So you have to relearn pain mm-hmm. and you have to start reflecting on what that means mm. to you in your own life. Mm. Because if it's not integrated into like what you understand about your own life, it's, it's not going to become relevant to you and you're not going to make any cha- attempts to change it. Right, right. And once you've reflected it, then it works towards helping you reframe things and seeing things in a light where pain itself is not the enemy. Yes. Um, and then we move past that towards re-experiencing underneath all these different things. Now you're moving through your life, going through like movement, exercise, and reteaching your, your, your system, like how to better handle these things with, the support of now your your new beliefs and reflections and reframing um, and then helping you guide towards the things of value because a lot of people have like a shrinking life you know they're like okay I, I i can't do this can't do this can't do this and before long they're just like in bed all the time right or like just not moving very much so um helping them rediscover the things that like drove them forward that like and gave them passion and tracking those things rather than tracking pain um, is actually really, really important. Um, so that's kind of like the the structure of how I, I move people through. It's not focused on any one modality, although the tools will follow three main things. And that's um, probably mind, mindfulness stuff. And first where I help people understand working with mind body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second would be movement helping the body and form the mind. And then the third one would be diet. Mm-hmm. So when they come in, it is like, okay, like um, you might start with the question, like, what do you think is driving your pain? And usually it's like, okay, I've lost like three inches of height because of my dis- uh-huh. like dis-degenerative like, dis- disease or yada, yada. They'll, they'll list a bunch of anatomical reasons that they've been told in the past 
unfortunately by multiple medical providers like this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong so um when i hear that there needs to be de-education where i start to right. give them examples of like okay if if these examples don't fit the box why are you the some the one person who has pain and that's when i usually bring in like the bruise and then like the, the herniated discs examples um and when we get to the point where like okay well what is pain then their brains are opening up to the opportunity of something different right. so then we're relearning got it yeah that's so essential i feel like you can apply that to chronic pain or any chronic symptoms that people might be suffering with. We've kind of developed a lot of beliefs around those things, right? That aren't necessarily yeah. helping us in the process. Yeah. So I find that that education piece, that awareness piece is so essential first. Oh, I agree. And it, and it's about, like you said, coming to a place where the pain or the symptom may not be totally eliminated. It might be something you continue to navigate, but you have more resilience with it. You're able mm -hmm. to just see it in a different way because now you have the awareness of what's behind it for you, maybe what has led to it. And so it doesn't feel as like overwhelming, fearful, debilitating, disheartening. You're able to approach it with I guess really like more love and care for yourself yeah. and that part of you and mm -hmm. I truly think like that's the real healing process right mm -hmm. um and really understanding and trusting your body like just yeah. because this thing is coming up doesn't mean my body's broken or I'm doing something wrong it's mm -hmm. like more information right yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, great. So you were speaking to kind of these three components, three pillars. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what word you'd use to describe them, um, maybe foundational pieces of your approach. So yeah. you start with this mindfulness part, mm -hmm. and then you bring in, um, do you say movement second? Yeah. So movement would be second. And, um, so I, I guess, so if I, I, I'm not as diet heavy as I would say, cause sometimes when I give people diet stuff, it's like, yeah, everybody knows <laughs> that they need to eat better, right. but like getting them there is, is, is actually the, the hangups and barriers for why they couldn't get there is part of what needs to be solved. Right. Um, so if I really had three pillars, it would be in, um, I call it subconscious awareness. Mm. Um, and then faith kind of also, but not just believing in self, but also believing in what pain is. And then there's body connection, helping them kind of restore their connection with what their body's actually saying and doing. Mm. Um, wow. Sorry, when you said pillars, I was like, actually, I do have three pillars. Yeah. Not really related to my diet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this last piece that you just said is really fascinating. And I don't want to, you know, give all your secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very hard. I think that's a very complicated process. I'm sure you, you, right. You would be and here's, here's what I've learned too is like, again, it comes back to that education and awareness piece. Just because you maybe know what it's all about doesn't mean you know how to do that. And I've find that humans really need that like container of support and guidance mm -hmm. right oh, like absolutely. it's it's our our body is holding the wisdom our body is going to tell us what it needs to heal mm -hmm. and we are the only ones that can do it but we we heal in community and co-regulation and yeah. we often need that support and that guidance so I know it's not like giving secrets away just to speak to how you do that because we still need the piece of the, the guidance. But um, yeah. so the third pillar of body connection, I would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Body connection? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say most people 
do not have a good body connection when it comes to chronic pain. Um, in fact, like the very bare basic science of it shows that um, when people have pain, um, they the the little mini maps of themselves in their brain. Like so, let's say um, you you have a representation of your body in your brain. Like mm-hmm. it's called a somatosensory cortex. Um, so just say you have a mini me, and mm-hmm. if you had a mini me um, in your brain. And that represented your your two fingers. They should be de- depicted as two discrete spots in the brain if you were to activate both fingers. Mm. But if you happen to have pain or even a period of immobilization or surgery or something that prevented you from being able to operate those two areas well. So let's say if I tied your two fingers together for just 15 to 30 minutes, within 15, 30 minutes, that those two discrete fingers in your brain would become one finger. Wow. It becomes super, super blurry um, to the brain. And when the brain sees that, it's like, I can't see this thing properly. So what it does, it, it sensitizes the nerves in the area and is more likely to produce pain. Wow. Amazing. Yes, it's super fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love all your knowledge so many knowledge bombs (laughs) especially the the brain part and kind of this more brain science which is Mm -hmm. not so much of my area of expertise um it's just so fascinating to hear about so I love the knowledge that you're bringing forth there yeah really beautiful golden nuggets of wisdom that you're sharing (laughs) with all of us Wow. Amazing. So, um, this has led you to create your own practice. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I really love working where I am. It has also been difficult because it is like a government facility. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so the lack of, um, ability to kind of see people the way I want, um, or even have like the resources to be able to see people, people more frequently has been a constant source of frustration of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, you know what? I would also love to bring it to more people. Yeah. Um, and I decided to to start that last year. Um, and it, it it's been really fun to be able to to grow on my own. It's a bit scary and challenging to move out <laughs> in your own world and like be able to be like, oh no. But I, but if on the end of like moving past fears we have to be able to move into them first to be able to get past them. And I think that was. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> to move past fears, we need to move into them first before we can move past them. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> okay. Amazing. All right. Just wanted to um, emphasize that. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Yeah. So that, those are some of my fears where it's like, okay, can I do this? And, and, you know, I don't have chronic pain myself, but I would say the parallels of moving into anything scary um, looks very similar. And um, for me, it was like, okay, how can I better support people? Yeah. Um, and my values in doing that drove me forward to be able to, to um, get past like the scary logistics of what that even looks like. Right. Yeah, well, I know that that's a really scary thing to do. So good job. (laughs) Good job. Because this work you're doing is so important. It's so important. And the more people that it can reach, it's just going to do the world a great service. So you leaning into your fears is just helping so many people and improving the world. So keep it going. I'm curious, um, what this practice looks like for you. Is this something you're offering in person? Is this something you're offering online? So far it's all been virtual. I've had one-on-one clients and I'm also running a group coaching course right now. Um, it's a 12 week program. So for people who who find the investment for one-on-one coaching a little bit more time intensive or time and financially intensive. Um, the group coaching program was developed because of that. And there's a little bit more structure to it too. Um, and I had a, an online self-paced course that I had developed last year to mm. go along with it. 
Amazing. More heavily based on education because that is the first big step to help people get past. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a great entry point for people to come into your world and start to really, like you said, like relearn their pain beliefs, Mm -hmm. relearn their pain stories, right? Like they need Mm -hmm. that education piece. So that seems like such a great offering for people to be able to start that process and then they can begin to work deeper. Yeah. So you didn't struggle with chronic pain yourself. Was Mm -hmm. there something that initially inspired you to become a PT or to go down this route of chronic pain? (laughs) (laughs) That one's kind of interesting. I actually do. um, I do have people in my life that Mm -hmm. have chronic pain. Um, But I would say... Honestly, I started off my journey as a landscape architect. Oh, very <laughs> so, different. Very different. <laughs> and of course, the natural transition is landscape to physical therapy. No, um, <laughs> it was, uh, I think there was just something I, I, on the end of faith, I was kind of like thinking it through and, and praying yeah. about it. And um, the the words uh, phys- like physical therapy jumped out in my head and I was mm-hmm. like why is that sticking out because I actually about at that time I didn't know anybody who was a physical therapist I didn't even know what it was so I was like physical therapies that's interesting and so I started to look it up and the more that I looked it up I was like wait this feels like exactly what I want to do um I was interested in seeing the physical changes in people like I I, I could imagine like psychology, although that's funny now because my, my, my work is so much more psychologically based right. than I imagined it ever being. Um, but I, I think I like, <laughs> like the idea of helping people move through a, uh, one phase to another and I can see the physical manifestation yeah. of what that looked like. And maybe yeah. that's why the words jumped out to me in my head. But when I started to volunteer and shadow people, like this is it. And I, I felt so aligned with it and I haven't ever felt out of alignment um, with the process mm. other than the fact that I'm like, wait, something's not working. Right. <laughs> In which case I had to figure out what that was, but, um, right. yeah. Amazing. You can't work with the body and not have a psychological piece with it. That is so true. <laughs> and I, and I wish so many more people would, would <laughs> be like, yes, that makes so much sense. Right. It, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that awareness is growing, uh, right? Just the understanding of the mind-body connection, yeah. I think in general is growing. But yeah, Absolutely. if you're going to be working as a psychologist, you would also mm-hmm. be working with the body. And if you're working as a physical therapist, you end up also working a bit as a psychologist. <laughs> yeah, which is mind-blowing because I feel like even in the medical world, that is not necessarily like what is practice. It's like, okay, do you stay here or you stay here? Um, But, you know, I think the world is blending in so many different ways. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Well, amazing. So it was just something that ended up feeling in alignment and has always remained in alignment. And it appears that it was because you needed to come in to this work to transform it. Yeah. <laughs> transform PT in a new way. And, you know, I've never worked with a physical therapist myself. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, I know people who have injuries and have. And I know how helpful PT has been for those with injuries. And I've also seen where it's only done so much. Mm-hmm. And I've been the one to be like, well, I wonder if there's some, you know, traumatic or emotional piece or stress piece to your injury. And maybe they haven't been as well receiving of that. (laughs) So the, the fact that you can look at the whole person and bring that forward in physical therapy is just absolutely amazing and really what is needed i think for their recovery and for their healing so i feel like if i needed pt you the exact type of 
therapist <laughs> I'd be looking for. And like what I've wondered about is out there and I'm sure there's um, other people doing similar mm -hmm. things and tuned in, but um, yeah, just really impressed with the work that you're doing. Thank you. So uh, we're gonna wrap up here soon, but I have one kind of last question for you. And I'm wondering if, you know, people listening in right now are experiencing chronic pain or they know someone in their life that is, is there anything that you would recommend to them to do, to take away from this episode and bring into their life moving forward? Yeah. Um, so if we're, I would say the, the first thing would be like starting to help them reflect their lives. So if you, if you believe and you can see where the holes of where a simplistic tissue based pain model has failed you mm. really start to reflect on your life, on where those holes came around, like what doesn't make sense? Mm. Because if it, if, if your pain didn't make sense, like stuff like, okay, why should sitting for five minutes bother me mm. if it's about a tissue or why should like lying down, sleeping bother me when I'm not really moving my tissues? Those are all things that are brushed under the table <laughs> that we right. need to bring into to conscious awareness because if your brain sees those things, it's starting to realize, oh wait, why that doesn't that make sense? And it can better shape the the information I'm giving into a belief that it can really truly believe and when we know that we believe something deeply it is those beliefs that change the course of our action it's the beliefs that that shape our world mm. and the world conforming to our beliefs mm. amazing amazing <laughs> information for anyone to walk away with, whether it's about chronic pain or um, really any other symptoms, I'd say. I feel like <laughs> that's huge. Well, is there anything that you would like to speak to before we wrap up today? No, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, um, as I said, that was amazing. Um, I'm just feel like I've walked away with a lot of new understanding and information today. And I just really love the work that you're doing. It's so holistic, integrative, comprehensive. It gets to the root. It considers the whole person. And this is exactly what we need in healthcare and healing. So just wanted to thank you again for doing this work and for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, if anybody listening wants to learn more about Tawny and her work, all her links will be in the show notes. And if you struggle with chronic pain or know anyone that does, then I would definitely encourage you to check out her group program, right? Yes. And a self-paced course is still being offered. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay. Thank and you so much. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and share it. That helps it reach others who will benefit from this information. So much gratitude for you. Have a beautiful day.